Welcome to the second episode of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. Uh, I have a, another really special guest with me today. I have Ash from Boys Bible Study. Welcome. Hey, Snoopy. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you, you determined the passage that we were going to uh, read this week, and uh, you picked a really fascinating one, but... Uh, before we dive into 1 Samuel 18, um, do you want to give us a little background on yourself, what you work on, and, and how um, yeah, you know, faith plays a part in your life? I'd love to, yeah. Um, first of all, I want to say this is my new favorite podcast, so I'm very honored that I get to be one of your guests that helps you, you know, start it off. Wow, thank loved you so much. Your, loved your first episode with Jack. It was so much fun. Um, I am... Ash, like you said, um, I'm the co-host of a Christian film podcast that started at the beginning of the year called Boys Bible Study, and um, it's a project I'm really passionate about. Me and my co-hosts, who are my two best friends, Scott and Julian, work really hard on it, and um, it's it, so. Like I said, it's it's a film podcast. I would say first and foremost, we're really interested in Christian genre film. Um, the three of us just as friends like for years we've been getting together and watching Christian film um, we all are you know involved in the faith to various degrees um, I consider myself like a, a believer and practicing Christian um, faith is a big part of my life um, but you know obviously the thing with these these films is that uh, some of, some of them are very strange and deranged as you would imagine <laughs> like I the the goal however with our podcast with boys Bible study is that I I'm really obsessed with how you know twisted and strange and almost like outsidery this genre of filmmaking can be however I'm often really dissatisfied with the coverage of it like I'm I'm in sort of I live in Los Angeles and I sort of run in this like click of people who really like outsider film and outsider comedy mm-hmm. for lack of a better word so that's how I come to it but it's too easy when you're covering these type of films it's so easy to be like wow isn't this cringe like isn't this like <laughs> so bad it's good and it's like I, I really like I really resent the label like so bad it's good like I don't know I wouldn't watch a bad movie like why would yeah. I watch a bad movie like I only watch good movies it's you just know? good. Yeah, it's, it's just not good. so bad. It's good. It's just good. It's just you know, good. The, the intent is different, obviously, and there's there's other factors that play into like what makes it what it is. But um, I love your show. I'm a big fan. So um, it's uh, it's it makes for very compelling a- analysis, though. The the three of you do a really really great job with it. I really appreciate that. Thank you. And and yeah, my my goal is to is to do a, a more deep analysis than you know uh, what i just said and um you know i'm i'm i really don't i never wanted us to be like an amazing atheist like look how dumb christians are podcast (laughs) because that's simply not the truth and um i'm a christian myself and i think that that makes our look into the movies um maybe a little more nuanced than other people who cover similar material so that's my mission statement with that 
Absolutely. That's great. Uh, the, the episode I, that uh, I listened to recently about the, the movie with the, the Sting bio movie. Yes. Uh, so good. I, I, as a, someone who's uh, a wrestling fan as well as really? a Christian, yeah, it was, it was very, um, yeah, it was very interesting to, to hear y'all talk about that. I'd never actually seen that movie before, so uh, it made me want to hunt it down. And, and I've been looking everywhere for the encounter because you kept bringing that up too, and I, I can't find it for streaming anywhere. But... Oh, I'll hook you up. You have, <laughs> I have to give you the encounter. The encounter is like Christian or non, like in my top 20 of all time. It's, wow. it's unbelievable. It's like, yeah, because cause Sting is in The Encounter. That was how I first encountered him as, well, encountered him, <laughs> as, a, as a Christian movie actor because he's so good in that film. That film is just unbelievable. Like, I, I, could, I could talk about it for a half hour. But, um, yeah, uh, Sting, the pro wrestler, is, is a Christian pseudo-celebrity. And um, that's also very interesting that you're a wrestling fan. I, I did not pick that up from, uh, from following you online, so that's cool to know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't really talk about it because um, in the in the realm of things that people consider to be so bad, it's good. I think people yeah. just think it's it's bad, and it is. Uh, sure, but it's enjoyable in uh, in its own way. Um, oh yeah, yeah, it's a it's a theatrical art form. Like it, it is like we compared it on the pod to like like Kabuki theater or something <laughs> like that. I actually probably the least knowledgeable about wrestling than my co-host and the guests we had on that episode um mm. but uh i really appreciate it as as a theatrical form it's so much fun and uh some of the clips of like vince mcmahon actually calling god into the ring which is something <laughs> he's done as a stunt and he like like challenges god to a wrestling match and stuff it's like it's uh uh you know it's it's very biblical in scope it's yeah. it's, it's a massive production so very uh, cool Excellent. Um, okay, so let's, uh, at the risk of being too brief at the outset, let's jump right in because there's a lot to chew on here. And yes. um, I think it's best that uh, that we have as much time as we can with it. Um, do you want to do the recitation this time? Do you want to read it back? I'd be happy to, yeah. Absolutely. Um, sure. Yeah, um, like you were saying, uh, you, you approached me about the pod and asked me what would be a, a passage I might be interested in. And obviously, I mean, there's so fucking much to choose from, but I was just sort of like praying and meditating on it. And this came to mind because I always found it to be like um, interesting and a little weird, but also like very touching. And that is the story of David, who would become King David, um, one of the most consequential characters in the whole Bible, as well as one of the first kings of Israel. But specifically, story of him, specifically stories of him as a young man and his friendship with Jonathan, the son of King Saul, the first king of Israel. Um, which, uh, as I begin to read this passage, you know, we'll take a look at the character of the, the quote-unquote friendship between David and Jonathan. Um, so I'll start off. Uh, I, I I picked the the 18th chapter the 18th chapter of first Samuel, um, their story kind of spills over into later chapters as well. But I, I just thought this particular chapter was interesting. So uh, I might skip around a little bit cause it's long, but I will start at the beginning of chapter 18 right now. First right. Samuel 18. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. 
and Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. That's about David. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul sent him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So we have uh, a special bond uh, that's created between Jonathan and David. And Saul sees this bond and essentially says, uh, all right, now you go out. You're a, you're a captain now. You are, you're out in the, uh, in the wars. You're going to be fighting battles for me. Um, and the interpretation that I'm getting here is that Saul is basically trying to get uh, David killed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I, yeah. Sorry. Go on. Oh, oh, I was just going to say it's it's interesting because it's this was good in the sight of all people and um, and in the sight of Saul's servants and everyone seems really happy about it. But ultimately, this is um, David being put at uh, you know in great danger, even though Jonathan you know they've essentially professed their love for one another and how you want to interpretate or interpret that uh, that love is is. Um, you know, there, there's different ways that I think people, and we can we can talk about this a little bit more when we get further in, but um, Saul has basically said, all right, now get out of here. Right, and it's clear from this chapter, but also from the surrounding context of 1 Samuel that, yeah, there there are political motivations for Saul doing what he's doing, even though, you know, he he could on one level, if you look at it, be like well David's very popular so I'm going to put him in a position of importance but it seems from these chapters in fact it it explicitly states it that you know we're we're encountering the story of Saul David and Jonathan at the end of Saul's relevance you know his his empire is in decline Mm -hmm. Um, he's fallen from favor with God whereas David is this rising political star Um, he was secretly anointed to be a future king of Israel by the prophet Samuel. Um, Saul, I'm not sure if Saul even knew that, but it was just, it's, it's meant to be. It's destiny. It's going to happen. Um, but, you know, Saul sees how popular this young man is becoming and how good he is in battle. He had just before this story slain Goliath in the very famous story of David and Goliath um, that a lot of people know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the people of Israel love him. I mean, he's... he's everything he's he's a musician he's a a warrior and this is just the son of a humble shepherd um so yeah saul explicitly is trying to put him in battle with the philistines to get him killed so he's not a political threat to him in the future sure and the philistines are um for historical context were at basically at war with the um kingdom of israel for in perpetuity, essentially. I mean, what what do you know? Uh, what the context of that um, that kind of battle was? You know, um, the the Philistines and the Israelites are at war from the beginning of the book of First Samuel, and it seems like that uh, an early conflict was the possession of the Ark of the Covenant. 
Um, I believe the Philistines had it at some point, and the Israelites were warring to get it back. I, I might be a bit mistaken about this, because I find some of the historical aspects of the Bible just very dense, you know? Absolutely. Um, right, of course, of course. Um, but but uh, from I will say that from the beginning of the book of Samuel, the Philistines and the Israelites are at war. So we sort of join the story with the idea that these you know, peoples are just longtime enemies and that that is just like the a fact about being an Israelite at the time is, you know, we're, we're fighting the Philistines. And, and um, yeah, it's obviously a very uh, a bitter, um, a bitter kind of uh, rivalry, because as you'll see in the next um, in the next uh, section, the next few verses, people actually sing in the streets about how many of the Philistines they've killed and how happy they are to have that, that, that they have been slain. Right. Yeah, very much so. This is definitely uh, an enemy that the people are very politically against and they, and they support these battles. But um, yeah, I can, I can continue on uh, if you'd like. Please do. Um, okay. So next section of chapter 18 is, has the subtitle Saul's jealousy of David. Verse six, as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, I think that's referring to Goliath, the champion mm. of the Philistines. The women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Ooh. Yeah, a little bit of a, hmm, <laughs> a little bit of a rivalry happening here. And... And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands? And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. So, uh, David is the champion of the people, and, and Saul has a lot of um, jealousy about how he's being perceived, despite the fact that people obviously are still respecting Saul uh, as as a great warrior of this thing, but David is the he's the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's hey, he's young blood, you know. Yeah, I mean, hey, listen, Saul, we love him. Hey, he's our king. Okay, he was he was the first king of Israel, and another just like important piece of historical context is that um, Saul being the first king of Israel is obviously very notable because throughout the story of the Israelites at that point my understanding is that they basically were run by the direct command of God as interpreted through whoever was their star prophet at the time. Um, If you think about, you know, the first books of the Bible with Moses who would receive commandment directly from God and then, and then bring it to the Israelites. But God is starting to sort of like wean the Israelites out of him having to just like directly give orders all the time. And in the beginning of Samuel, the Israelites were clamoring for a human king because God had not spoken to them in decades. So they wanted a human king who they could obey that would establish order over their society. Um, But God obviously wanted the Israelites to continue to, uh, you know, conduct themselves by his, his uh, will. So the the reason it's called the book of Samuel is because the the book starts with the prophet Samuel and Samuel's job is basically to uh, oversee that transition from 
godly rule to human rule. And he anoints Saul as the first king of Israel and later anoints David after God tells Samuel that he's a bit displeased with Saul's conduct and the way he's mm-hmm. ruling the people. And uh, as we can see from the next uh, section of this, that there's going to be some issues when a, when a human being is at the helm uh, of that much power. Um, I could jump in here if you if you don't mind. I really, really like this this section, and it's super interesting to me, and I really uh, I, I want to dig in. Yeah, uh, yeah go is, off. Uh, 1810 Um, the next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre lyre is um, a type of harp Uh, as he did day by day Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought I will pin David to the wall but David evaded him twice Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Very weird, yeah. Very Um, weird. Yeah, we were talking a little bit before we recorded about this uh, this part about the harmful seer, harmful spirit in Saul and um, and David playing the liar, and I would love to dig into that more now because that's I also find that extremely interesting. We have a situation here where, um, according to this text, it's saying that God actually sent a harmful spirit to Saul that God sent essentially what is being interpreted as like a demon. Um, and, and why would that be? Why, why would God be sending? And I tried to look through, um, the KJV and, um, a couple of other translations to try to figure out like, okay, so the way it's written here, it sounds like God like literally sent a demon to Saul. And, I found the the voice is like my favorite kind of easy to read version of the Bible, and and it says the exact same thing. I mean, there's nothing really uh, interpretive about this based on the different translations I'm seeing. On the next, in the voice, it says, "On the next day, the true God sent an evil spirit to overwhelm Saul and put him in a prophetic state inside his residence. Um, so basically, possessed him to act crazy." Um, and this is obviously in the in the understanding of a sovereign God that has the plan already, that knows knows it all already. This was just a method for him to drive Saul further out of the favor of the people, and and uh, and put you know put David forward. And, and it's um, it's hard to grapple with this God. The New Testament God doesn't really act this way the new testament god presents challenges and and um and you know elevates people with uh you know more holy spirit energy essentially but the the new testament god doesn't uh put people into states of demonic possession right yeah i find that very interesting and and honestly, just most of my own like pleasure reading of the Bible tends to be 
New Testament, I think for that reason, um, because, you know, I mean, hey, it's the it's the newer it's the the newer updated patched (laughs) version of God. So, you know, but I, I agree. There's something that's really hard to handle about the reading about the Old Testament God, because, yeah, like God will just kind of like use you bring to you to bring you to a position and then um if it's not working out just like like kill you or possess you or just like um you know like as in not to get too off topic but as another example i've i got really obsessed with the story of the golden calf like last month Uh, i don't know why i was just really compelled by it um actually at boys bible study we're currently working on a a radio drama about the golden calf which is like very dorky it's i think it's gonna be fun um but it's really funny because like the people of you know what was you know to become like israel at that time like displeased god so he just had one of the tribes just like like execute everyone else yeah like he he would just like he would constantly be just like destroying and starting over i mean even the noah's ark story or there'll just be so many like quick verses like the final verse of a chapter will be like and he had like 11 twelfths of them executed and it's like okay <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, this it's a lot of bloodshed. It's a lot of I mean war is the the natural human state. I think in many ways like the in a in a fallen world um will always be at war that you know true peace only comes in the kingdom of heaven and and um you know in that eternal realm there is no war, there are no battles. Um there's a little bit of uh contradiction in that in I think revelations, <laughs> but um the it feels so bloody. It feels so um, cruel, almost. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the, the request that Saul makes of David uh, as a dowry for marrying his daughter, Michael, is, um, as I'm interpreting, a, a product of the, the demonic possession of Saul. But, oh, is it ever gross yes yes (laughs) love this part i mean this is just like the old testament going into like camp territory um which is uh, for a couple campy reasons why i chose this section of the bible but yeah uh should should we uh should we talk about that part yeah absolutely should we skip do you want to skip ahead and and just get to maybe um and so that part we're referring to basically yeah maybe um, 18 um I guess we could just jump in at 1820. That sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how do you think I pronounce that wife of David? My- Michael? M- M- Michal? I always, I always, when I was reading it, I was hearing Michal or something like Michal. that. But um, yeah. but the um, on the version app, I'm going to be referring to this now every episode. I should really get a sponsorship of some kind yeah on the U-version oh yeah you version i'm curious <laughs> about that a, they have um every like every translation except for the voice um they have tons and tons of translations on there and and some of them have an audio track on them and the narrator for um esv and for kjv um was pronouncing it michael oh wow okay i th- i found odd because it's well the spelling first of all seems wrong but the um in context of michael is is this one of those names that was uh sort of assumed like a female name before and became like a male name right. or um i i don't really know no but uh that's interesting um but uh yeah uh i think i'll skip to verse 20 and i'll, I'll pronounce i'll pronounce it michael um 
Now Saul's daughter Michael loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased them. Wait, is Michael a they them? And they told Saul. <laughs> anyway, Saul, Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, behold, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke these words in the ears of David. And David said, does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law since I am a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, thus and so did David speak. Then Saul said, thus shall you say to David, the king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. So, uh, yeah. A hundred, hundred foreskins. A hundred foreskins. Um, not to kill a hundred Philistines, not to take a hundred lives, but to take a hundred lives and then cut off their foreskins yeah. and bring them back to him. Right. I that mean, is so evil. It really is. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm assuming then, because, you know, there, there's other references in the Bible famously to, like, the concept of the uncircumcised Philistines. So, mm. you know, obviously, like, you know, the, the command of circumcision, um, as opposed to other, you know, peoples that, that didn't follow that command, like, I'm sure that was just some kind of, like, representation of, you know, some people being cultured or godly and other people not being. So, you know, on one hand, there's that level of, uh, of saying, like, okay, well, you know, we took their foreskins kind of like ritually like humiliating them but also like making them like clean not that you know they'd be made clean by doing this but just kind of like symbolizing the fact that they they are unclean they are ungodly and we're i'm gonna you know take a symbol of that and give it to the king but also i mean I mean, a hundred foreskins. Like, come on, a hundred of them. Hundred foreskins. Uh, can you can you please mention that article you found? Because that was so I found, funny. I found um, I found an article. There's a website called beholdingtheglory.org. Um, I I had to Google this uh, two hundred Philistine foreskins. Uh, why? I, I I had to throw it into Google just to see if there was maybe some explanation for why this of all things. Um, because I think I was lacking a little bit of the um, uh, a little bit of the necessary context that when we're reading the Old Testament, I, f- I feel like it's really, really important that you um, understand that this was a completely different world that they were living in. This is not just like uh, interpersonal relationships were different, but the entire order of things was completely different. So um, I found this, why 200 Philistine foreskins matter on this website. (laughs) And uh, at one point in this article, the writer says um, he killed them, uh, presumably each... uh, I should credit the author of this because I I think it's brilliant. Adam Brown. um, And at one point in the article, he says he killed for them, presumably each in hand-to-hand cold-blooded murder, old men in their beds, young men on their way to the supermarket... Obviously not the supermarkets. Uh, maybe even a few boys coming to her from school. Husbands taken from their wives. Fathers never making it home for supper with their families. Sons never again able to honor their mothers. 200. 
this is what 200 looks like. And he writes out 200 number ones <laughs> in a column. And I've never seen anyone try to explain 200 foreskins in, in like a, a visual way, but it's, it's very striking and very strange. That is, um, that is so funny to me. Uh, oh, <laughs> my God. Yeah, I just I love the like here's an infographic like i'm thinking of like yeah any any of those i mentioned this before when we were talking but you mm-hmm. know there's always those like those graphics like you know jeff bezos has this many billion dollars like you can't even imagine that like this is an infographic showing how much that is but this is like 200 foreskins like you can't even imagine like let's look at a visual <laughs> representation of how many foreskins this could be so uh yeah i also really like the way that author was like old men in their beds like young men on the way to the supermarket but i just imagine like un, un like un uh intentionally like he now has me thinking about like the different states of the foreskins that they were like i don't know like are we talking like like shriveled up foreskins like young like foreskin like i don't know it's just like i get what the author's trying to do but i just it made me laugh i don't know it all became very visual very quickly yes yes it's like now we're thinking about them right right. uh uh so so odd and i i guess the thing to really focus on here is and the author has a good point that Saul is so far from God now that that God has left Saul so intensely that he commands the one that God is with to kill uh, innocent, well not innocent, but to kill a hundred people and and cut off a part of their body and bring it back um, to him. And um, David obliges because he's, he wants to be king, I think. He he knows that in order to be king to have that level of power you need to be essentially part of the family mm-hmm. and um speaking of family uh, jesus is a descendant of david we hadn't mentioned that yet right right but if you read the beginning of the new testament where they go down the line of all the, the millions and millions of people that um that are all related uh jesus directly comes from david so david's rise to power is super important that's true yeah i mean this might be a good opportunity to talk about the historical significance of David because we, we hinted at it, but like didn't quite get into it yet. But yeah, I mean, David is so significant in the old and new Testament of the Bible for so many reasons. Um, like you were saying, Jesus is, uh, is said to be a direct descendant of David according to multiple biblical sources. Um, and his family tree is even like explicitly, um, mapped out in in one of the gospels i can't remember which one um Mm. but not only that you know david had a huge impact on the old testament um apart from his his life story being the subject of you know multiple books of the bible he also is the author of most of the book of psalms they're sometimes referred to as the psalms of david and his son who was the king after him is, of course, Solomon, who is another extremely important and consequential figure uh, who wrote some more of the Psalms, who also, I believe, is the author of Song of Songs, also known as the Song of Solomon. Mm-hmm. And fr- from my understanding, just like researching for this conversation today, like Solomon kind of like was finally the full package of a king that God was looking for 
Um, you know, D- Saul was a bit of a failure. Uh, David got closer, but David also later in the Old Testament had some sins, uh, adultery, you know, va- various things that God wasn't quite pleased with. And mm-hmm. my understanding is that Solomon really like stepped up and and was the the most ideal uh, Old Testament king of Israel that that God was looking for. So, yeah, it's it's interesting because David is portrayed here as like this. He's like this uh, young hotshot. He plays he plays a little music, and and he's so beloved. And then uh, fast forward in his life, and he's uh, m- murdering uh, someone's this woman's husband because uh, he slept with her and wanted to you know to to be married to her. So like he is every bit later in life as fallen as as Saul becomes here. Um, it's it's really really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we cut off there at the um, maybe eventually the king's enemies sort of mid between twenty five and twenty six, but um, now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines, and when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the the king's son in law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed. 200 Philistines and David brought their foreskins which were given in full number to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law and Saul gave him his daughter Michael for a wife but when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael Saul's daughter loved him Saul was even more afraid of David so Saul was David's enemy continually then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle and as often as they came out David had more success than all the servants of Saul so that his name was highly esteemed. Mm-hmm. So uh, Saul had asked for a hundred foreskins and David said, I can do better. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bring you 200. Yeah. And it's, you know, we were saying this a bit before, but it's interesting that it's clear that David is ordained by God to be the next king of Israel. Like it doesn't matter what challenge Saul throws at him, what kind of danger that he tries to put David in. Um, he is just, he's meant to be. He's, he's touched by the hand of God, and he has success in everything he does. It's, it's interesting because, like, Saul is trying to, to get very specific things from his relationship with David, and um, I saw this, you know, we can get into it a little more, but I see this section of the Bible as kind of a contrast between Saul's relationship with David and Jonathan's relationship with David, which is that Saul is all his dealings with David have to do with what he hopes he's going to get from them. Um, He wants David to die so that David won't threaten him for the crown, but also he wants the Philistines to be destroyed. So he like, he, he, is trying to kill David, but at the same time, like David's having all this success, like battling enemies that Saul already has, um, his own sons. And he are all involved with this battle. In fact, later in first Samuel, um, Saul and all his sons are killed in battle with the, with the same Philistines. So, you know, it's interesting because there's a couple like transactional or like, what's the word? There's like plotting, uh, aspects to how Saul was treating David in this section. Yeah, it's very it's very calculated, conniving, um, kind of uh, 
he sees David as, while David is his enemy, he's seeing David as, like, someone who could do his bidding for him and does it obviously well enough that he can, um, that he can count on him to, to commit the, the atrocities that he wants to occur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it should be mentioned that, um, you know, David's even appearance in the court of Saul literally came because of Saul's need for help with this, uh, this, this harmful spirit that God had thrust upon him. You know, David had already, as a young man, uh, had uh, a reputation as being a very talented musician playing the lyre. And that's actually why Saul initially sent for him, because it was concluded somehow that, um, so, you know, I sort of interpret this, this harmful spirit as maybe like mental illness of some kind. Um, and, you know, so Saul, let's just say, if that's correct, he was suffering from some kind of mental illness that, um, you know, had him raving as the word choice is in the ESV. Um, then David's job was to play the harp to calm him down. So like even, uh, the, the section that, uh, we read earlier where it says like, he raved what's that word choice it's right here uh yeah a harmful spirit from god rushed upon saul and he raved within his house while david was playing the lyre as he did day by day i don't know i like to think about that mental image um like the the king of israel is like like having a private rave like in the uh like in one chamber of his like court uh and and this guy who he hired this like shepherd is like playing the harp and saul's like fucking like running around screaming or whatever like i don't know it's very interesting this this beautiful harp music and just the screaming of a madman uh going on on top of it is so evocative it's so um it's so interesting and in that the only thing that would calm him down was the the playing of this uh the playing of the harp by this god ordained uh you know musician yeah um, it's it's very striking and yeah it goes to show that like da- uh Saul needed David in so many ways and that was why David was there in the first place and um you know, Saul resents that and is jealous of him and his rising popularity and his clear path to the crown, but he also can't help but bring him in closer. You know, he, he makes David his son-in-law, even though David has no royal ties or reputation. Like, that's even why the foreskins thing, that's part of why that came about, because David could not pay a dowry in the conventional way. He didn't have money. He came from shepherds. Mm. Um and David, in the part you read, David even says, basically, like, why, why is he asking me to join his family? Like, I have no reputation, but, um, but he does, you know? It's very interesting. How much of him being drawn closer into the family has to do with his relationship with Jonathan, and how much of it do you think has to do with just his ability to, to do the, the, the bidding of Saul? Uh, that's an interesting question. I, I don't know. I, my, I read it as more of the latter. However, Jonathan's relationship with David certainly plays a part. Um, it seems like, because, you know, we, we had that part of it saying Saul and David's souls were knit. And Jonathan, I, I must repeat, stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David. Which, like, you know, let's, let's think about that for a second. Um <laughs> And so that's that's happening like pretty soon after after David slays Goliath. So I feel like maybe Jonathan was like 
the first person in the court to really like love David and see his potential. And maybe that led to the events that followed. Um, this is not the end of the homoerotic mentions of Jonathan and, and David. I actually have a list oh, no. pulled up uh, <laughs> of just other t- sections in first and second Samuel of uh, just some odd verses here and there that, that reference this love. Um, so that's, that's an aspect we should totally discuss. Absolutely. So the, the, the relationship between them, the friendship or relationship, however you want to interpret it, is extremely intimate. And uh, they, you know, exchange, you know, exchanging clothing or, or whatever. Symbolically, I think part of that is like, I'm going to give you my, I'm going to give you my uh, weapons and my armor so that, you know, you can be this great general. Um, but they, they are so, the, the phrase, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David is so intense mm-hmm. because it implies, I mean, this almost a marriage-like quality to this connection between the two of them. Very much so. Very much so. Um, and uh, if you don't mind, I'll read just like one or two like later uh, verses. Please do. Um, let's see. So basically after chapter 18, the following chapters are, the immediately following chapters are Saul like just directly intending to kill David. Like his jealousy just turns to like, he's fixated on killing David. And Jonathan is instrumental in helping David escape Israel temporarily. David actually um, goes out uh, in the wilderness. Um, he even lives among the Philistines for a sec, which I was a bit confused by. But, um, you know, he, he spends quite a time away from Israel uh, to avoid being uh, assassinated by Saul. But um, so some of these verses are in the context of that. Um, let's say, uh, okay, so basically there's this thing where Jonathan has a servant boy, like send messages to David um, to help him escape. And so there's a verse, First Samuel chapter 20, verse 41. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from behind the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they, meaning Jonathan and David, kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Um, so, you know, that's just, they, they're, they're kissing and crying and, you know, embracing each other. Embracing each other. So it's very sweet. And I mean, kissing has had different kind of cultural connotations, I think, throughout history. Um, and some cultures are more physically intimate with um, platonic friends than others but there's obviously a level of intimacy that's going on here that this is a is not simply friendship that there is some level of that sort of like eternal bond between the two of them very much so and there's a there's one other verse about their relationship um i'd like to read which comes from the book of second samuel chapter 1 verse 26 i believe this comes after uh, Jonathan and Saul and the rest of Saul's sons actually die in battle. And David hears about this and is lamenting the loss of Jonathan. And he says, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. That's a big that, that's, that's a big a, one. That's a big one. Uh, that's that's big. Pause, as they say. Big pause. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the ESV, you get a full paragraph break there. Like, let that one sink. In for a <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Now, 
the Old Testament is the the passage or is the the, the book of the Bible that is more I think openly um, it, it more openly scorns homosexuality as a practice and and it it does so I think because of the way that culture was at that time and, and you'll see um, the, a little bit of that carries over into the New Testament and and uh, most of that doesn't happen from the the mouth of the Messiah it happens from from apostles who are inf- influenced by the culture that they're living in at that time but if even here it's saying your love to me was extraordinary surpassing the love of women mm-hmm. how could there not be some kind of implication there that there's there's something physically intimate going on very much so and you know both both Jonathan and David had wives I mean David actually had many wives and concubines um, and that's that's a focus of later stories about him and his adultery but um, no it's it's absolutely I mean I, I don't know like <laughs> I, I get that it's like a different it was a different time but like mm-hmm. how like how can you not read that and be like it, it's just so funny because like I honestly remember like in Sunday school class like growing up as a young Lutheran there being like a section about the story of David and Jonathan and it's just really funny again I do I necessarily think that this part of the Bible was explicitly referring to a homosexual relationship like I I don't know I mean yeah maybe but I don't think that's like the the point of this part of the Bible is not like uh you know, like Marvel putting in a gay superhero in their, in their movies or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not like that, but at the same time, it's really funny to be in Sunday school as a young Lutheran and hear the story and be like, Jonathan and David were very good friends. Like this is a great (laughs) verse about how much, how important it is to love your friends. And like, that seems to be the, like the mainstream like interpretation of this part of the Bible that seems to be like the moral lesson that we're supposed to learn, but it's like, hmm, you know, this is the um, they were like uh, in 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 days of uh, more secretive homosexual practices that they were roommates. Right, um, right, yeah. <laughs> they <laughs> they, uh, they were um, whether or not this is a reference to any kind of physical intimacy openly is not I mean there's no way to know but it's probably not the case sure. but it's the implication I think is there and um, and it is that's so funny that your Sunday school would be taking this there's so many friendships and great um, great passages about friendship right. and, in the Bible and that this is the one that they were like that's what this means it's like just if you can't do an honest analysis if you can't if you can't be honest about your your interpretation of this then just skip over it yeah that's um (laughs) that's such a good point like i i didn't i it was only until researching for this conversation that i remembered that but like i can literally remember like the teacher i had and like the the handout you know i remember the woman who was teaching that class and like the handout we had that had like an illustration of like david and jonathan and it was literally like a whole day at sunday school about how they were very good friends and it's like I mean, there's a whole lot of other shit in the Bible. Like, like, like <laughs> there's plenty to go off. Right. Of like, you guys are running out of material, and you have to, like, be like, oh, by the way, definitely not gay. Uh, so, yeah. you guys, um, I don't know. Very interesting. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that uh, it's. It's unfortunate that, like, uh, more candid conversations like this can't happen because. Um, 
it's it's so uh, these people are all very human. They all have very uh, sort of fallen trajectories, and and they they commit sins. And even when they say when it says that God is with them or God has left them, they they still commit these sins regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, so to see uh, to see people trying to uh, elevate certain people in the Bible as above, you know, as being more holy or less holy, it's kind of irrelevant, at least to me. It is what it feels like. Jesus is the only one that that, that didn't commit seer, you know, that didn't commit sin, that didn't that lived the perfect life. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody else is just floundering. They're trying, and however they try, they, um, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure exactly where I was going with that, but I find it. Um, David is revered in this way that is so, um, that is almost idolatry by by the people of Israel um, but he's you know he's he may or may not be gay with his friend right I, I don't well, no no, no. <laughs> I, I I get it it's it's like uh like um you know there there's many ways listed how David sins that characters in the Bible sin yeah I agree with what you're saying every every character in the Bible even the most revered are openly have said to sin like their their mm-hmm. sins are on the record because you know it's important to know this it's important to see like you were just saying that you know only only god is infallible only jesus didn't sin um everyone else is a human just like just like me just like anyone reading the bible so yeah it's like why couldn't there be maybe e- even if you're the type who thinks that homosexuality is a sin why does let, let's say let's say you are that type and you do read this in the bible I don't understand why that couldn't be a discussed, like overt aspect of this story. It just seems like it's, it's glossed over. It's just, it's funny, I guess how like, um, homosexuality is still kind of this like unspeakable thing. Uh, even as it's becoming less and less taboo, even within the church. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's very interesting. What sins we're able to openly discuss, and what sins we just kind of like. Well, they were very nice to each other, you know. Yeah, it was, and there's there's so many atrocities being committed here that this this thing that gets they we know that culturally people were aware of the practice of homosexuality and they just didn't really uh, didn't really discuss it or talk about it, but why the Bible can go into detail about these awful, gory things that people do to each other, and we can't, they couldn't bring that practice up in any other way than just to say, don't, don't do it. Right. Don't do that. Right. Um, strange. It is. Um, yeah, and it's, that's, that's part of the reason why I've, I've been so fascinated with this story, and, um, you know, part of why I wanted to talk, talk about it today. And, um, yeah, I don't know as, as a gay guy myself, uh, and who, you know, like, um, I love men, you know, that's who I'm romantically involved with. And also a lot of my best friendships happen to be with men. I, I just, um, I, am I am a man, um, a male apologist. I always will be. Um, so <laughs> I, I definitely find something really touching and beautiful about this story and about, you know, um, the, the, the love that they describe. And I, I did want to bring up that, um, 
uh, a common interpretation of this, you know, going on a, a little bit of the like, they're very good friends thing. A very common interpretation of this section of the Bible contrasting the relationship between David and Jonathan and Saul and David is the emphasis on unselfish and like non-transactional love, which I genuinely think is like a really good message from this section. Um, I looked up and I, I looked at the, the Mishnah explanation, which I had actually never heard of Mishnah before I was researching for this conversation. Um, my understanding is that it's like it's like an oral tradition of rabbis uh, interpreting the Old Testaments, and there will be different Mishnahs offered, uh, authored by various rabbis. Um, so kind of like how there's different Gospels of Jesus, you can look up different rabbis like Mishnahs and, and read their commentary on different parts in the Bible. Um, I could be explaining that wrong. It was a totally new concept to me. But um, there's this Mishnah called, like, Perkei Avats. I'm so sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. But it, it has this to say about the story of David and Jonathan. It says, Whenever love depends on some selfish end, when the end passes away, the love passes away. But if it does not depend on some selfish end, it will never pass away. Um, which love depended on a selfish end? The love of Amnon and Tamar. I don't actually know that story, but... It says, and which did not depend on a selfish end. This was the love of David and Jonathan. Um, so I think that's an interesting interpretation and, and one that uh, it could be very relevant to anyone hearing this story. And the, the, the Bible refers to friendship a number of times. Um, this, I think, is one of the biggest cases of this sort of deep abiding love between men. Um, and again, interpretations of sexuality aside, there is this, this true holy bond between these two people. Yeah, and that bond led to the, uh, you know, directly led to David becoming king, it led to him surviving all of Saul's assassination attempts and thereby fulfilling the, uh, you know, the blessing that God had given to David and, and his destiny to be the king of Israel because... You know, I mean, obviously, because God meant this to be, it was going to happen. But uh, in the human events that led to that, you know, if it wasn't for this love that Jonathan had for him that surpassed any um, political desires or, you know, even his like obedience to his father or just like anything other than his like instinctive raw love for David and his willingness to do anything for him. Um, you know, if it weren't for that, then who knows what would have happened, you know, um, David would never have been King. And then, uh, you know, I mean, th shit, there, there technically, I guess would have been no Jesus, right. You know, if Jesus was a direct descendant of David, then Jonathan's love is like a direct path to the eventual birth of Jesus. So very powerful. And, and David, because of this, I think because of the love that he had for Jonathan and Saul's association with Jonathan, he still mourns Saul after after Saul throws a, a spear at him to try to pin him to the wall after Saul tries to kill him a number of times when Saul and Jonathan fall um, in 2nd Samuel 12 they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword and, and uh, David writes a beautiful lament for the two of them and if you haven't 
dug into Psalms, please do. Psalms is is so amazing. It's my favorite part of the Old Testament by a long shot. These beautiful poems, these beautiful songs of love and of um, compassion and of um, worship and praise and and they're it's so invigorating to read it. Uh, all of them have this wonderful energy. Totally. I, I, I heard a rumor that you might be uh, discussing a psalm uh, in the near future on the uh, on the Transgret Snoopy podcast. I suppose the cat's out of the bag. <laughs> yeah, next, uh, next week, I'll have a very special guest as well. Uh, all of my guests are very special to me, but um, I will be discussing a psalm um, that particularly resonates with me. Um, but David, I mean, David is obviously an extremely talented musician and extremely talented writer and I think that probably has a good bit to do with the fact that God was inside of him that that God was with him um that he was kind of speaking through uh through David yeah I mean all the amazing things that man is capable of uh when they're listening to God and when when you know they are possessed by the the spirit of God and do things in his name. Um, I think it's amazing to see all of David's many accomplishments. And, um, for me, it's a reminder to, uh, to, yeah, you know, try to try to listen to God, you know, be honest about, uh, and grateful for the gifts that God has given me and, you know, try to make the best of them. Strive for that connection because even if you're not feeling like you ha have that sort of um that spirit of god that holy spirit inside of you like david did if you continue to strive for it the good things will happen and and the best parts of you will come out i think truly like the the most uh the best of us the most of us um comes out when we are when we're striving for the connection with god be that through prayer or good works or or uh, whatever that would be I completely agree. And like to kind of pull it back, like on a meta conversation for a sec, like um, it's really nice. Like I, you know, I, I grew up in the faith. Like I grew up as a Lutheran and I was, I was very devout as a young person. Um, and, you know, uh, it always meant something to me then. Um, and, but you know, a couple things happened, like, you know, uh, definitely like coming to the terms of the fact that I was gay was, you know, a bit traumatic for me. I, I really, I really tried to pray it away for a while. And because of that, you know, I, I definitely tried to avoid, um, thinking about this. And I, I thought that it wasn't part of my life, you know, but everything comes around and I just, I, it, it was something that I, I was trying to avoid, but it was always there and waiting for me to come back to it. And, um, in the last couple of years, coming back to my faith as an adult has been beautiful. And, it's it's really nice to have conversations with people like you who are um, also you know uh, talking outwardly about your faith and that it's a big part of your life and I, I don't know maybe it's just me or I'm biased because I feel this way and I'm seeking out media like this but I almost feel like there's been another kind of resurgence among uh, among people uh, that Absolutely. that people are people are becoming less it's becoming like more cool for lack of a better word to be Christian. <laughs> like for the longest time, it was just like, 
you know, I mean, and even honestly, even in like my circles out here in LA, I mean, other than my friends who understand, but like me explaining to like, I don't know, someone I meet for the first time or like, like a guy I go on a date with, I always have this trouble when I'm like going on a first date with someone where they're like, so what do you, you know, what do you do? I'm like, uh, well, you know, I'm like a Christian podcaster <laughs> and like, I, they're like, wait, are you like really Christian? And I'm like, yeah, you know, like, yeah, I, people don't really expect it, but I think it is becoming like more and more, uh, commonplace. And I'm, I'm really happy to see it. I think it's a beautiful change of, of the tide. I think that there is some kind of spirit of revival going on right now. Mm -hmm. Um, more people that I talked to, I was just talking to a friend, uh, last night about this, they went and, uh, a couple and they went and bought their first, um, set of Bibles together. And, and I thought, what an incredible thing. God is so good. Yes. And actually, I think they'll be on the show with me at some point soon um, as well. I'm getting so many people that are wanting to get involved with this project. And it means so much to me. Like, just stepping back for a second, uh, selfishly, the amount of feedback that I've gotten from this, the, just the first episode, was incredible. Yes. And and the amount of uh, people connecting with this is just incredible. I'm so humbled and I'm so honored. And obviously, all the glory goes to God, to Jesus. It's not anything that I'm doing, right? God came back to me, mm-hmm. that I, I disappeared from my faith for so long and that I was able to reconnect. Um, I, I just feel blessed. I mean, it's, it's incredible. That's amazing. You should. And I, I'm so happy to hear. I mean, like I said, when I when I found out you were doing this, having been a fan of your work for a bit, and also when I heard the first episode, I was so excited. It was It was the type of thing that I was waiting for to entertain me and and get me thinking more about this um, material that I'm so invested in. And, you know, I sort of had a similar experience with regards to Boys Bible Study because um, I do see that podcast as kind of like an unlikely missioning tool. Like I, a, a lot of the people who listen to it um, have told me that they are, you know, either former Christians or people sort of on this weird state where they're, they're disillusioned with organized Christianity, but still feel like they, they want to be a part of it in some way. And, um, also just because by nature of doing it, exploring the material more and having it be just like a bigger part of how I interface with the world and how I spend all my time. I've had similar to like what you said, I've had a couple friends approach me. I had a friend approach me and said, um, Hey, Ash, like, you know, when more churches open and things like that around here, I just wanted to let you know, like, I'd love to go to church with you. And I was like, so touched by that. It was amazing. I was like a friend who like, I I don't really know what his like personal backstory with this stuff is, but we'd never talked about that before. And, um, I had another friend who was like, yeah, like I'm, I'm thinking about getting a Bible. Like it seems really interesting and stuff. And I don't know. I'm just, I'm so heartened to hear that. And I'm glad that you, uh, you listened to that, uh, that voice that was like, I want to, I want to get deeper into this. And, um, I'm glad I did the same. It's been an amazing part of the last year for me. And thank you so much for, for sharing this with me today. Like this was, uh, I think a very interesting conversation and and one on a a passage that's probably the most challenging, uh, that I've really in depth connected with, um, so far. And so excited to, to keep um to keep digging there's so much good in this book i i had so Uh, much fun thank you for having me i've been dying to have a conversation like this uh with someone so i'm i'm really pleased that we could today absolutely and uh just one more time can you throw out a a quick plug for for what you do and where they can find you i'd love to i'd love to um 
once again, I'm Ash. Uh, my podcast is called Boys Bible Study. Uh, check it out at boysbiblestudy.com. Uh, you can listen to all our free episodes that come out almost every Sunday. Um, and uh, follow us at Boys Bible Study on Twitter and Instagram. Um, we, of course, have uh, we, we do three free episodes a month. Um, we also do two or more bonus episodes on our Patreon.com slash Boys Bible Study. And we also do two live streams uh, a month of Christian films that we have to keep a secret uh, because of copyright. But um, <laughs> on the first Sunday of every month, we actually live stream a Christian film on uh, the Twitch of the uh, of the organization Everything is Terrible, who are dear friends of mine. They're uh, guys who are committed to like uh, digitizing and archiving like VHS tapes, completely forgotten VHS tapes and like weird outsider uh, media and... Um, uh, they're uh, yeah, dear friends of mine. Uh, they've been supporting this project. And uh, so, you know, maybe subscribe to their Twitch and see us there. Uh, yeah, that's uh, those are my plugs. I, I, I would love for people to check out Boys Bible Study. Please listen to Boys Bible Study. <laughs> it is sponsored by Transgress. Yes, we got to have you on sometime. <laughs> I'm, I'm dying to have you on. We'll get you on uh, p- your schedule pending. Uh, maybe in November we can have you on. I would love that. That would be great. Okay. Great. Um, all right. Well, just like last week, I, I found a I found a poem that um, resonated with me in sort of a similar way as this story did. Um, it is called Message by Allen Ginsberg. Since we had changed, Rogered spun, worked, wept, and pissed together. I wake up in the morning with a dream in my eyes, and you are gone in New York, remembering me good. I love you, I love you, and your brothers are crazy. I accept their drunk cases. It's too long that I have been alone. It's too long that I've sat up in bed without anyone to touch on the knee, man or woman. I don't care what anymore. I want love. I was born for I want you with me now. Ocean liners boiling over the Atlantic. Delicate steelwork of unfinished skyscrapers. Back end of the dirigible roaring over Lake Hurst. Six women dancing together on a red stage, naked. The leaves are green on all the trees in Paris now. I will be home in two months and look you in the eyes. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) ¶¶